Hey, you guys, and welcome to another episode of the Teaching Middle School ELA podcast. Today's episode is a little bit different than others in that it has our very first interview. And this episode is just fabulous for a number of reasons. Number one, I'm interviewing one of my very, very best friends in the entire world, Holly from Research and Play. And although Holly is a kindergarten teacher, that brings me to my next point, number two, about why I love this episode so much is she brings such a different perspective for us to look at as middle school ELA teachers. And we talk a lot about how we can apply some of the same principles that Holly uses in her kindergarten classroom to our middle schoolers, right? To our middle school ELA classrooms. So this episode talks about a lot of different things, but really focuses in on classroom environment and creating that positive classroom environment for our students where they feel safe, where they feel valued and cared about. So I'm super excited to jump right into this episode. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Teaching Middle School ELA podcast, where it's all things reading and writing all the time. Game-changing lessons and fresh ideas, along with a dose of inspiration, are shared to help make your teaching life just a bit easier. And now your host from the blog EB Academics, Caitlin Mitchell. Well, welcome, Holly. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast with me today. I uh, have known you for many years, and to have you on the podcast is just such a special experience, and I'm really honored that you agreed to be interviewed all about classroom environment today. So before we jump into the questions and talking about classroom environment, if you can tell our listeners a little bit more information about you, about who you are, um, since many of them might not know you since we're a middle school ELA podcast and you are are a kindergarten teacher. Right. So I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much for asking me to come on. Um, hopefully your listeners will enjoy and take some things away. So my name is Holly and I run Research and Play, which is a combination of an Instagram account, a blog, and a Teachers Pay Teachers store. And like you mentioned, I do teach kindergarten and that is the only grade level I've ever taught. I love that. (laughs) So with that said, can you tell us a little bit about your teaching philosophy? Even though you're coming from a kindergarten lens, I still think a lot of the things that we've talked about with your teaching philosophy can absolutely be applied to us as middle school teachers as well. Right. So I have been teaching for eight years in kindergarten and my philosophy really stems from my own education as a pre-service teacher. So I have a degree in child and family studies with a concentration in early childhood education. And the most of the decisions that I still make today are rooted in what I learned back then because I'm coming from a place of child development. And so I'm having to think about that when I think about how I'm going to do things in my classroom. So my philosophy basically can be summed up in a few different beliefs that I have. So I believe that Children deserve an environment that is stress-free, calm, and that supports their engagement, and not just physical environment, but social-emotional as well. I believe that as an early childhood educator, it is my job to make sure that I'm giving my students as many differentiated activities as I can because they are coming to me, even at such a young age, with so many different exposures or non-exposures to things, and I think Most of all, I deeply believe that 
students should leave me with a joy of learning. That's my biggest role as a teacher is to instill that love of learning in my students because I am that foundation. I could be their very first teacher, whether or not they went to preschool or not, but I'm their first introduction into school and I want them to leave loving school. Yeah. And I absolutely love that. And I think it's so interesting because I've never looked at it that way. I've never been a kindergarten teacher, right? I've always been middle school, high school. The youngest I ever taught was fifth grade. And so to be that child's first introduction to education, like that is such a huge responsibility that you hold on your shoulders, right? And so to instill that love of learning in children at such a young age, I think is so important. And it helps us, right, as middle school teachers that we have kids coming to us who've had teachers like you. If they could all have teachers like you, it would be just so much easier, right? Okay, so that leads me into my next question. I would love to know, have you always been following this approach to teaching from that very first year that you became a kindergarten teacher? So I know, I not I don't know many people who can say this, but I feel like my first year of teaching was wonderful. It was one of my favorite years of teaching. And I think it's because I have followed the same approach all years of teaching. Um, I think it's due to me being rooted in child development, like I mentioned, because I knew going into that first year that the biggest thing that mattered was the environment that I created, not necessarily the physical environment, because my classroom looked totally different than the way that my classroom looks now. So not that, but just the social emotional environment. I knew that I needed to create relationships. I needed to have very strong, um, classroom management strategies. And thankfully, because I was exposed to things like um, uh, responsive classroom and the Reggio Emilia approach, I used those philosophies that first year and I still use those today. So I think if you have, if you have something that you know works, why mess with it? And so what worked that first year still works for me now in year eight. As I'm sure so many people are listening to this and are jealous that you had a wonderful first year teaching because that was definitely not my experience at all. And it's interesting because I didn't start my master's program until I was teaching. And I think had I been given a lot of those foundational skills like you were talking about, you know, with the Reggio Emilio inspired that we'll talk about in just a second and the responsive classroom, I feel like had I been taught that before my first year, that would have been so helpful. So consider yourself very lucky, yeah, right? That you... you you had that education beforehand. Um, so while this philosophy carries over into all of the subject matters that you teach, obviously, right, you teach math and all of the other things. We are just ELA teachers. Most of us are probably listening to this podcast right now. So can you focus then in particular on reading and writing and how this philosophy carries over into those subjects specifically? Sure. So like I mentioned before, um, one of my biggest responsibilities is setting that foundation. And as my students come into kindergarten, we talk about their identities as a reader and their identities as a writer. And I've had students actually argue with me early in the year when I say, everybody in this classroom is a reader. They'll say, I can't read. I can't read. I'm not a reader. And so I have to, even at five years old, have to break that down and prove to them, can you read your name? Can you read the McDonald's sign? Can you read your cereal box? Then you're a reader. And it starts with that. And so making sure that my students develop their reading and writing identities is huge. And so one of the ways that I do that, that I think your listeners can probably relate to, is making sure at any opportunity that I can to provide student choice. So 
I follow uh, the workshop model. So in Reader's Workshop, my students have book bins, and I make sure that I do put leveled readers in there that I select for them. They do not know their levels, but the majority of the books in their book bins are their choice. They're storybooks, they're, you know, um, nonfiction books, whatever they want to choose from a classroom library, which is just sorted by theme. It's not sorted by levels or anything like that. They get to choose. And so when it's reader, reader's workshop time and they get their book bins out, they're excited because they picked out most of the books in there. And same thing for writer's workshop. I do have obviously the standards I need to teach and the content I need to cover. But when it comes to actually sitting down and doing a, a narrative piece or an opinion piece, they have total freedom of what they want to write about. And in kindergarten, that starts as drawing pictures and telling stories through pictures. And now they're using lots of words to extend their stories, but they love it and they've grown so much because they just get to choose and Writer's Workshop isn't a chore for them because they got to choose exactly what their story's about. Yes. And like implementing that student choice is such an important piece. And I totally agree with you. I do that with my eighth graders as well. And I found that it works so well. This might not be a popular opinion, what I'm about to say, but we got rid of Accelerated Reader in our eighth grade classroom Mm -hmm. because so many of our students were restricted by their reading level and they weren't getting to read books that they were enjoying. So it was really taking away from that enjoyment of reading. And I did a lot of research on it and I I argued to get rid of it for the eighth graders. Mm -hmm. And when I told them that this year, they were I swear they almost jumped out I'm of their sure. seats so excited because mm-hmm. now they could read whatever books they wanted to read. And so, yes, instilling that at such a young age, but then for us as middle school ELA teachers to continue to give them that student mm-hmm. choice is so, so important. It's something that we always need to keep at top of mind. Right. Yeah. And I know, you know, you guys have a, a lot more standards to cover than we do as kindergarten teachers, but remembering that, yes, you do need to teach those standards. It's like, that's your destination that you want to arrive at, but give your students different pathways to get there. Don't just chug towards that destination and think standard standards. Think about students need to be enjoying that journey along with you. Right. And so student choice, I think is huge. Yes. For that. Yes. And that's so true. Enjoying the journey with mm-hmm. them. It's not about the destination, right? right? Whatever that saying is, that yep. cliche saying yep. that we see all the time. It, it's true. It's true. So then let's get into the research part of this. I would love to know what the research says and what more information you can give us about that. Right. So it's cheesy, but I chose the name research and play for all of my social media outlets because I really am passionate about making sure the decisions that you make in your classroom are research-based. And I'm passionate about play, which we can get into that later. (laughs) That also comes from the research. So um, starting from a young age, I I talked a little bit about children developing their identity as a learner. And so I use research on classroom design, the physical design, to make sure that they enter into a space that feels like it was made just for them Mm -hmm. and has all the tools that they need. So... Um, I think I feel like this helps them feel like their classroom is a space where they can be successful. Um, I know that a lot of times we want to start organizing spaces to fit our needs as teachers. Mm -hmm. And I've really this year specifically came to a halt and told myself the space is not for you. There are 24 other people in here and this space is definitely for them. So I took away my kidney table and lowered it. And now it's a blocks building center and my desk is out and other things that I've always had just because quote unquote, that's a teacher thing Mm -hmm. to have. I've taken out because this is not my space. This is theirs. And so when I, when they walk in, I want them to feel like this is their space. So I use 
a lot of different research for that, primarily the Reggio Emilia approach, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and then as far as classroom management, I use research on best practices and in, in behavior to make sure that my students feel supported and cared for. And I want them to feel like school is a place where they belong. So I use things like responsive classroom where it really utilizes student voice and student opinion. And I'm eliciting their opinion on our rules, on our routines, on our procedures, on our consequences. They help me come up with those too. So when they come in, they feel like they've made a bunch of decisions. And so they understand if they break a rule or do something that they shouldn't, they help me figure out what to do about that. So it's not like I'm implementing something onto them. They were fully involved in that process. So um, I also, you know, think about as they come to school, I want them to just feel good about being there. And so once they feel good about being at school, they feel like they belong, they feel cared about, then I think about the research behind the content. Um, I think the social emotional part is huge. And like I said, you can't do anything else without it. So after they feel good about school, then I use research based on how to deliver the content so that they can actually start developing those identities as mathematicians and readers and writers. So I use a lot of research behind things like uh, differentiation and blended learning, which is something that I've been using for a couple years that has been incredible um, to make sure that even though they're so young, their ability levels are so varied that whenever they come in, they know they're not going to get just a, a blanket lesson. They know that their activities are exactly what they need. And so it gets them excited for centers and for writing because they're doing the things that they need to work on. Mm -hmm. So as I'm listening to you go through all of these things, these are all principles that we should be applying in middle school too. And so I think that that's such a great just thing for you to bring up for us to just remind us, right? We need to be focused on how our classroom environment, phys the, phys the physical environment is about our students, right? It's not just about us. I, I'm not the only, I have 30 other, 31 other students with me. It's not just my classroom, right? And so to look at it, to have that mindset shift, I think is so important. And incorporating blended learning and differentiation, those are all things that we need to be doing in the middle school classroom. And the social emotional part of it too is huge in middle school because kids are going through so many different changes mm -hmm. and life is just challenging right. in middle school. I don't know if you remember being in middle school, but it was not, you know, an idea time favorite. in life, right? <laughs> and so they need to feel cared about right. by us too. Even though they're 13, 14 years old, they still want to be loved. Mm -hmm. They still want to be cared about. They still want to walk into a classroom where they feel like they matter. I will never forget my eighth grade social studies teacher because she, I felt like she cared about me. And that's, I feel like that's hard when you're rotating through all those teachers mm -hmm. in middle school to like find one that you feel like really cares. So yeah, I feel like everything that I do is, well, in particular, all of the trainings and PDs that I've gone to to learn more about this are K through 12. You know, right. there are teachers in the room from all grade levels. So it's applicable no matter what grade you teach. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so interesting that you say that about your history teacher, because it's always something that I remind myself of. They're not probably going to remember anything <laughs> what I taught them, right? They're not going to remember about Romeo and Juliet. They're not going to remember Dally from the Outsiders. They're going to remember how I made them feel mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And that's yeah. what it comes down to, right? That's why we're teachers is to, yes, make the world a better place, but because we care about kids, right. you know? Um, I just love that. 
Okay, so you are obviously a kindergarten teacher, and we just talked about how some of these same principles apply to the middle school classroom. Could you give us an example of what you do, like a specific one, like maybe an actionable step that we could go ahead and take to classroom our classrooms the next day? Right. So you guys probably already do this, but <laughs> um, one thing that I used to do that I don't do anymore is for writing, for example. Um, when I would teach writing, I would think about the standard that I wanted to teach. And then I would create an exemplar and my student, and then my students would get a template that basically already had most of the words filled in with like the dotted lines for them to trace. And then they got to write one word to finish the writing. And it was like, that's it. They mm-hmm. just filled in one thought that was their own original thought. And then they drew a picture mm-hmm. and I, I realized then that that was just not working and my students were not becoming writers. They didn't see themselves as writers. Mm-hmm. They weren't loving writing. And so, like I mentioned before, with the student choice, that's how I've totally shifted my mindset as a writing teacher is I understand that my kids need to know how to de- how to produce a narrative writing piece. So what I have done that has worked really, really well is I will study that content area and I will pick out personal stories from my own life that can relate to that. And so I do storytelling at writing time. And so my mini lesson will be me telling a story. And so like I might mention, because we're doing narrative writing uh, coming up, I might say, guess what, guys? I went and saw my friend Caitlin and this is what we did. And this is the restaurant I went to and she has two dogs and I played (laughs) with them and then I came back home. And it's a true story, but they get so invested because you're telling them something personal. Right. And no matter how old the kids are, they love hearing about your personal life. And then I create, as I'm telling the story, I start writing my little blurb and I draw my picture in front of them and it doesn't have to be beautiful, but Mm -hmm. it's just something to show them. And then I say, I'd love to hear about something you're doing in your life or a cool thing that you did. And so then they're energetic and they're excited to go to their tables and write. So I feel like inserting that personal piece totally changed Mm -hmm. how writers workshop felt. It Mm -hmm. didn't feel like a chore and it didn't feel like stale like it did before. And so then the kids want to tell you, they start raising their hand during the writing time. Come read my story. Look what I did with my family last weekend. So I think that really helped. Yeah. So we could do that as well when we're teaching narratives in middle school, Mm -hmm. you know, and I never thought about that. I've always kind of briefly told them, but to give them, I could write something myself, Mm -hmm. right. And give them an exemplar for narrative writing. I always give them a a teacher example that I've written when we're talking about um, literary analysis. Mm -hmm. That's always super important, but I never thought to carry that over into Mm -hmm. the other writing discipline. So I Awesome. I super appreciate that. I'm yeah. going to take that to my classroom when we go to the end of the year because I have a narrative writing assignment coming up at the, the last week of school. Um, so then if a listener wanted to begin implementing our this Reggio Emilio approach that I just am becoming more and more obsessed with as I see it work in your classroom, where do you think is like the a good first place to start? Like what can they do? So I spent years learning about this in college and have still been trying to learn more and more about it as I've taught. So we could turn this podcast into an hour if I really <laughs> went into it. But um, kind of there, the, the, where, the place where you could start is to define the three major aspects of Reggio Emilia. So if you're not super familiar, the Reggio Emilia approach 
um, stems from educators in Reggio Emilia, Italy. Um, which we love already. Which we already <laughs> love. And if you could go there, that would probably be one of the best trips of your life. I've unfortunately never been able to. But um, there are three main aspects of this approach to educating children. There's the fact that there's a specific role of a teacher. There's mm-hmm. a role of a student or a learner. And there's the role of the environment. There's also the role of families, but we won't get into that. So I think one of the best places to start is to define those three roles for yourself And this doesn't have to have anything to do with Reggio, but this is what happens as a Reggio teacher. First, you look at the student. What what would you say is the student's role in your classroom? So as a Reggio educator, you would see that student as, and some of these you probably already do, an active participant, a sense maker, a constructor of knowledge, um, an explorer of their environment. You would see the student as leading the teachers down the path, and that path may look different for every single student, but you're giving them that space and that ability to lead you where they need to go, and you go with them down that path. You take that journey with them, so you don't have that path set. It's the role of the student to set that path depending on what they need, and they are actively working alongside you, and then if you take that role or that image of the student and the image of the child is important. What do you see children as? Do you see them as sponges or as cups that you have to fill? You know, that whole thing, like filling, it's not the filling of a cup, but a lighting of a fire. (laughs) Um, It's true. You have to truly see the students in your class as totally capable of doing the work and making those big decisions. You're not the only decision maker in your classroom. And then after you've developed the role of the student, think about the role of the teacher. And as a Reggio educator, you would see yourself as a guide or a facilitator, um, a listener, and someone who knows the destination you have to arrive at based on the standards and other things. But you know that you'll take whatever path necessary to get your kids there. So you're going to try different approaches. You're going to differentiate. You're going to follow their emotional needs. You're going to take a step back if you need to. You're not going to rush that process. And so if you see yourself as that facilitator, then like I mentioned, you are working right alongside your kids, no matter what they're doing. They could be having playtime in kindergarten. We do playtime every day. I love to sit with them at playtime because some people might just see it as play and they might go have their coffee and do their attendance. But I love just sitting down with them um, and listening to what they're doing because there are so many things that children can do that they might not get to show you in a paper and pencil activity but if they have things that they're just enjoying playing with or you know using their hands they can show you so much more so you're just that facilitator you're just sitting there listening and and then taking notes how can I support this child when it's reading time because they love playing in the block center Mm -hmm. so you're kind of making those connections and then after you've developed your role of the student and role of the teacher then think about the role of the environment and so what, what do you see your classroom as? Is it actually a participant in the kids' learning? Because according to the Reggio approach, the environment is the third teacher. That's a phrase that they use. And so your environment should be set up in a way that not only supports your students and, you know, gives them the tools that they need, but provokes them or engages them or stimulates them. You want the things in your classroom to be things that your students could look at and it actually makes them think. It makes them 
um, excited. If you have a writing area and it has all these different materials and tools, your students are drawn to that area because they love sitting over there and getting out some paper. Or you have your reading area with pillows and with plenty of choice books. It draws them there. Um, One thing that Reggio classrooms have a lot are provocations. And so sometimes you'll just bring something in from, you know, the real world, put it on a table and write, what do you notice? Mm -hmm. What do you wonder? And you don't really have an agenda. You don't know where that's going to go, but it's really cool to see what kids do with that. So that would be my piece of advice is to develop those um, definitions of those three roles and to question yourself if it's hard to to think of that, then you just have some work to do yeah. and, and using the Reggio approach can help you with yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And the, that last piece, right? If you, if you are struggling, mm-hmm. then you have some work to do. And that's what we talk about on this podcast. Like it's okay. Yeah. To, we're not perfect, right? We're always learning. We're always mm-hmm. growing. We're always evolving. We're always changing. We're always bettering our teaching philosophies and, and practices right. for the betterment of our kids, mm-hmm. right? And for ourselves too, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we're not, no one is the best teacher in the world. Right. Um, and so that, um, brings us kind of to wrap everything up. Do you have a book or a website recommendation? I mean, I would even send our listeners to your blog, um, just to see how you set up your classroom, because a lot of the things that you share on Instagram, I start thinking about how can I do that in my classroom with my eighth graders? Like just because you're a kinder teacher does not mean I cannot learn something from you. In fact, I can probably learn more from you because I'm looking at it from a totally different perspective, right? So if you can give us books, website recommendations, something to leave us with at the end here. Right. So um, there are tons of books that I could recommend. And so the easiest way to recommend them is I have them all on a list on Amazon. So I'll give you the link to that book list. Awesome. I'll put it in our show notes so that, you can just send it to me. Yeah, that would be probably the easiest way to recommend them because I have some responsive classroom books that I use every single day or every week. I have some really good Reggio books and books on the classroom environment. And then I just have some other books on there um, for ELA and for math instruction too. So um I, you know, as a teacher, you accumulate all of these books throughout your career and then they just collect dust. But these books are the ones that I still, I still write notes in them. I still take them out. They have post-its stuck all inside. So I'll give you the link to that. And then like you mentioned, my blog, um, I do try to write a post about things like Reggio and things that really I have a passion about. So if you have a question, you can check that. And then I'm pretty active on Instagram, and so there are posts and stories all the time about my classroom and then about some different strategies that I try um, in ELA, too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Holly. It was so fun to have you on the podcast. This was really a lot of fun. I know that you were a little bit nervous at the beginning, but you did an awesome job. I really think that our listeners are going to walk away from this episode feeling inspired because I know, honestly, like I'm not just saying this for the podcast. I feel totally inspired to kind of relook at the way that I I view my classroom. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to go through those things myself as a teacher, my students as the learners and my classroom environment. How are all three of those things working together? And so thank you so much, Holly. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, all right, you guys, thank you so much for joining in and listening to today's episode with Holly from Research and Play. I am going to include her list of book recommendations and a link to her blog on the uh, show notes for this episode. So you can just go to ebacademics.com forward slash nine to go ahead and grab those. And again, you can find her on Instagram at Research and Play. Thanks so much for joining me and I'll see you guys next time.